I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the economic and political turmoil in Venezuela. And joining me on the lines are Latin America editor John Paul Rathbone and Andrew Schipani, who covers Venezuela for the FT. John Paul, if you could start, just give us an outline. It seems to be both an economic and a political crisis, kind of very, very closely connected. What's the background? There are two essential points. One, you've got a large and sustained fall in oil prices over the past several years, and that has ravaged Venezuela's economy, which derives 95% of its export earnings from oil. So they've had less oil to export, and so they've had less money to pay for imports. And in fact, imports have fallen of the order of 60% in the past four years. So this is the kind of austerity that really makes the Greek austerity look like a walk in the park. And the second factor is political. The socialist government remains in power as it has for the past 16 years, headed by a man called Nicolas Maduro, President Nicolas Maduro. He presides over a fractious viper's nest of interests called the government where corruption is rife and they're basically digging in and resisting opposition attempts to try and have a referendum, which is essentially a vote of no confidence on Maduro. Over 60% of Venezuelans believe Mr. Maduro should not finish his time as president. So you've got economic crisis and kind of political impasse, and it's probably coming to a boil. Yeah, I mean, Andres, give us a sense of what it feels like in Venezuela. What's day-to-day life like, and how hot is the political situation? Well, just to give you an idea, lootings are becoming commonplace. So hunger has become widespread amid shortages of everything from food and medicines to autopods, printing paper for newspapers and so on. People have started resorting to looting, sometimes violent looting, in certain areas of the country. Snaking queues are a common sight across the countries of people trying to get their hands on whatever they can milk, maize flour for the staple, which is called arepa, which is sort of like Venezuela's alternative to the sandwich. Meanwhile, Venezuela has one of the world's highest crime rates. I mean, violence is soaring. Security is not a word that predominates in Venezuela. You never know when you can get shot or when you can get kidnapped. Or sometimes, depending on where you are, when are you going to be able to get food? I rove around with a driver that I trust because he's from one of the slums and he has a very battered car, so it's sort of like to be as invisible as I can. But it's, it's actually gruesome. Again, you never know when something could happen. People in Venezuela, particularly the opposition, say this is already a dictatorship. But when we have an idea of a dictatorship, we think, I don't know, if North Korea, Cuba, well, the state will have control over everything, literally. But in the case of Venezuela, I don't see the state having control over much, aside from a big chunk of the institutions. But the day-to-day life is run by different groups of thugs, essentially, which is quite scary. So the state of affairs is pretty dire. I mean, we are almost on the state of thinking like Venezuela is dipping into failed state status. And daily life sounds so hard. Is there any energy left over for political activism? The opposition has been trying to do whatever they can. Back in 2014, tens of thousands of Venezuelans marched, but they were heavily repressed by security forces. 
And now that is sort of timidly starting to get back in the game, as JP was saying, with attempts to remove President Maduro through a recall vote. Essentially, the opposition needed to gather a certain amount of signatures for the electoral court to approve and set a date for a referendum to remove the president. But that is still being fought by both sides. Essentially, since last December, when the opposition took control of the National Assembly, the government has packed the courts, particularly the Supreme Court, with loyal judges and magistrates, which have essentially been undermining the powers of the National Assembly. So it's going to be very, very hard for the opposition to be able to get that recall vote at some point this year if the recall vote happens next year and Mr. Maduro is actually removed automatically, the presidency will fall into the hands of the vice president, which is part of the government. So essentially, we will have a continuity of policies. So it's not easy. The opposition has been trying to gather as much support on the streets as they can. But there are two issues here. People first are worried that they're going to be repressed, as it happened in the past. And I've been in protests where I was tear gassed. And there were so many, there were almost as many security forces on the streets as protesters. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, people have told me, look, I mean, I'd love to go out and protest, but I need to get food from my family. So I either queue to get food or I go and protest. Okay, that makes it sound almost as if President Maduro, despite the drastic nature of the situation, is quite well dug in. And yet, John Paul, you were suggesting that things are building to a head and that it can't go on forever. You're right, Gideon, in the sense that Maduro controls all the institutions in the country, except for one, which is the National Assembly, which he's sought to neuter. But the rest, the army, the oil company, the National Guard, the police, they're all under his control to the extent that anything in Venezuela is under control. But it does seem to be coming to a head at the moment, partly because, A, on the economy, there are more cuts in imports forecast for this year. A government official was saying they're going to cut imports by another 40%. Things, as Andres was saying, there's looting, things are running out, so conditions are really desperate. At the same time, there is the fact it's very difficult to protest or become politically engaged if you're spending all your day looking for food and basic supplies. So it's a really sorry situation. I mean, it's also a very far cry from the bravado of the Chavez years. And of course, Chavez was not just a Venezuelan leader. He was an international figure who, if we remember, used to offer free oil around the world when things were going well, but who also had a lot of international support from the left. Is anyone going to come to the rescue of Maduro? Where does Venezuela stand internationally? Venezuela is basically internationally isolated, with the exception of Cuba, which provides token support. In the region, there's been a swing of governments away from the left towards the centre. In Argentina, there's a new president, Mauricio Macri, who said it's not enough for the rest of the region just to stand by and do nothing with its arms crossed, because what could unfold in Venezuela could be so awful that they'll regret their silence now. Meanwhile, in Brazil, the presidency of Dilma Rousseff, she's under possible impeachment, so there's a new government there. And they've also moved very swiftly to say they're not going to stand for any of this kind of leftist cozy stuff. The rest of the world doesn't really care very much. And Venezuela owes a lot of money to China, over $60 billion. That's the extent of the Chinese interest in Venezuela. And Beijing is unlikely to issue new credit to Venezuela, given how poor the economy is at the moment. Yeah, and Andres, I mean, Chavez, for all of the controversy he arose, was, was a considerable political figure. How does he contrast with Maduro? Does Maduro have the ability to whip up support, to rally his supporters? No, not at all. Just to give you an idea, one phrase that I hear a lot 
in Venezuela is Maduro is not Chavez. And I hear that from the opposition and from socialist followers. So he's in a very complicated spot. Of course, he did not manage to fill Chavez's shoes. And as John Paul was saying, one of the areas where he lost most ground was its international support. I mean, in the region, he's only now left, as JP was saying, with Cuba and small countries like Nicaragua, Ecuador and Bolivia. For example, on Tuesday, the head of the Organization of American States began taking steps against Venezuela to defend democracy and evoked what they call the Democratic Charter, which essentially could lead to Venezuela being suspended from the body. I mean, to give you an idea, the Organization of American States is a sort of United Nations-like group that represents all of the countries in the hemisphere except from Cuba. And the last time that the Democratic Charter was evoked was during the military coup in Honduras in 2009. Of course, now what's on the table is how effective the usual oil diplomacy that Chavez put in place and Maduro tried to give continuity to is going to pan out if he's going to get the votes he needs to stop that or if all of the other countries are going to vote against Venezuela. I mean, of course, there are many steps in between, starting from dialogue and diplomatic missions and so on and so forth. I mean, suspension from the body is only the last resort, but you could see that now there's a tide against... I mean, Chavez used to call his revolution the pretty revolution, but being on the ground, it's clear that this revolution is not pretty any longer, and that has echo overseas now. John Paul, I mean, you said earlier that for all the action of the Organization of American States that we've just been hearing about, the rest of the world is not that concerned by what's happening in Venezuela. Could that be an oversight? I mean, is it possible that if there is a deep crisis in Venezuela and it comes to a head, that it could affect the world? One of the things about Venezuela is it only really has one land border, which is with Colombia on its western border, and the rest is basically jungle. So there's very limited potential, really, for a kind of refugee spillover into, say, Brazil, because there's thousands of miles of Amazonian jungle between Caracas and Sao Paulo and Brasilia, say. So that kind of limits the spillover of Venezuela. The other places where Venezuela has an international dimension, apart from its faded revolutionary rhetoric, is on oil markets, where it's still a very major oil supplier, over 2 million barrels a day, and also it could default notwithstanding the fact it has the world's largest energy reserves, it could default on its roughly $100 billion of debt just because it's run out of money. So that could have some international financial implications. But the big scale, really, what we're possibly looking at here is a kind of grinding humanitarian crisis and possibly repression if things become so desperate. OK, and just finally, taking a couple of steps back, John Paul, I mean, it is an epic tale of mismanagement, isn't it? I mean, it seems incredible that a country that, as you say, has the world's largest energy reserves whatever the oil price, has been brought to this sort of pitiful state? Maintenance has never been a word much used in the Venezuelan vocabulary, and that's true of life before Chavez. But the mismanagement has been spectacular. Also the thievery and the corruption. For example, when you have multiple exchange rate systems, it's just an excuse for patronage. And basically, that's how you make money in Venezuela, is by gaming the foreign exchange system. And really, that's what's going on, and also smuggling oil. So... At the moment, Venezuela, I think, is viewed by many insiders in the government as just one huge opportunity to rob and steal. So it's mismanagement plus plus. Well, on that rather depressing note, thank you very much indeed to John Paul Rathman and to Andres Shapani. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.